Hello everybody, my name is Alex Marks and this is Traveler's Notes number two, not Young History, because I was actually lucky enough to be able to go back up to New York City for the second time in my life. My mother is a flight attendant, I happened to be off work, off of school, off of all those things. I was able to hop on a plane with her while she worked and got on up there. And we stayed pretty much in the heart of Manhattan, lower Manhattan that is, right by Times Square at one of the Marriott's down there. And we pretty much just spent the day down there. I've already done a lot of all the tour stuff in the trip I went a few years ago. I saw Rockefeller, New York City's most famous um, building, the Empire State. I saw the Statue of Liberty from the boat tour, walked the Brooklyn Bridge, saw the Stock Exchange, but I missed out on going to the One World Trade Center, which I missed out on this time too. But both times I did go, I saw a stand-up show and I saw some musicals that were on slash off-Broadway. So... We did that, and it was a lot of fun. I ate a lot of good food, and it's New York, bro. Like, it is one of the most famous cities in the world, probably the most famous city in the world. Everyone and their mother knows New York. People across the world know New York. It's always in talks from the Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange, NYSE. Broadway's talked about all the time. 9-11 is talked about all the time in a very different light. The culture is, the population, all of it. There's so many things about this country to get into, but a stat I actually just learned recently was the fact that the New York City metropolitan area pretty much contains 20 million point three people, and that is enough to make up about one in sixteenth of the population of the United States of America. So someone mentioned that one in sixteen Americans live in that spot. If it is that big of a percentage of the population, then that literally means what it is. Like the percentage thing doesn't sound that big, but when you say it as one in sixteen Americans live in the New York metropolitan area, that's insane. Like that's just insane because it's literally this tiny part up in the Northeast. We have this giant country that makes up the rest of us. So it's absolutely nuts. But that is pretty much what it is. So. I'm not going to hold it up much longer. We're going to run through the history. I'm going to give some things about the country's names, different stuff like that, and we're going to get it done. So thank you all so much for being here. And my name is Alex Marks. This is New York City, and this is Traveler's Notes. Let's have some fun. You guys are the best. Let's do this thing. All right, so our origins start with the first arrival from Europe, which happens in 1524. Now, the reason that we're starting here and not with the ancient origins of the people themselves who were living here, which was the Lenape people, which are under the Delaware umbrella, which is um, one of the major native tribes that was in the northeast of the United States prior to the European colonization, and they survived most of the early centuries of European colonization, but we started in 1524 because the land was very much just used as hunting ground and agricultural ground under these Lenape people, and they're very famous for a point in their history, which is when Manhattan itself is bought from these people, and these people don't really understand, just like in the south by Florida, that buying land is a thing to Europeans. They consider land part of the earth and that no one truly owns it. We just borrow it or we use it for its resources, but nobody actually owns land. So the concept of owning land and who was there and a culture being established on that land is very different for those ancient native people as opposed to the Europeans. So we're going to start in 1524, which is when the first Italian seafarer arrives. This is actually a man who survived Francis Maglellan's circumnavigation around the world. This was Giovanni di Verrazzano. 
He actually discovered New York Bay as he was searching for the infamous Western Passage that was meant to connect Europe to India by going west, but they didn't know the giant landmass of the Americas existed, so that's how they got here. Now, he named the land New Angolome, which pretty much means city on the river or city by the bay kind of thing in French. The area would be used mostly in this time as a secret kind of backwater place to make trade for fur traders, which is interesting because it's kind of a preemptive to, becoming, to it becoming a major fur trading town in its future under different people. So in 1609, an Englishman named Henry Hudson, while employed by the Dutch West India Company, actually sailed up what is now known as the Hudson River in search of the Western Passage, again, hoping they would find it, thinking that this landmass they were on would end and then they'd be able to shoot northwest into India, but they forgot that. They didn't know that Canada and what would become the U.S. and Central America existed, so there's no way to go through the U.S. to get over there. So, But what he did find when going this up this Hudson River was actually found a huge abundance of beavers, and they were actually the biggest part of the fur trade for a very long time when fur trading was popular. So a small fur camp was set up by the Dutch on lower Manhattan Island. These fur and the fur trade remained busy and there needed to be a lot of protection for the people at this camp. So in 1610, the construction of Fort Amsterdam began and trade began to boom in the area and it started to be called New Amsterdam, named after the city of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And the thing about this area was that the fact that these new Europeans were coming here and setting up camp and really starting to take away the hunting from the natives because the natives were using them for the beavers for clothes and for food and anything they could as long as well as any other animals that were being hunted for their fur it created a huge clash between the europeans and the natives and a lot of fighting started to break out between them many wars would ensue in this area in the northeast of the u.s by 1665 as the at the same time as this, slavery was actually starting to be brought into the land to be used as a labor force, and by 1664, 20% of the population was made up by enslaved people. And also in 1664, the English actually took over the power in this land from the Dutch, and that included New Amsterdam, but there was also a little resistance in the following years, which was in 1670 when the, Bre when the Dutch were able to very briefly take back Amsterdam, take back New Amsterdam from the Brit. Also in 1664, the English took over this Dutch territory, including what was New Amsterdam. They took over the whole thing, which is we see as New York and a couple other states that are in the area. And then they also took New Amsterdam. But in 1670, which was only a few years after, the Dutch briefly took New Amsterdam back from them, and they changed the name to New Orange. But it didn't take long after this for it to be fully ceded to the British, which was interesting because they made a trade for New Amsterdam, which would eventually become New York City in order to get something that most people would not even put in the same conversation as New York City, which was the country territory of Suriname, which is a independent country in South America, which we actually already did an episode on if you want to go back and check that out. But it is a country that is not very rich. It has not done a lot of production, and it's definitely in the long run not a extremely good investment when it came to developing that country and the things that came from it. But at the time, it was seen as much more prosperous than this little strip of land in the northeast of this new continent. But this would end up being New York, which is the most famous city in the world and one of the most prosperous states and would be huge for the U.S. and for the British while they were in control. But the Dutch let it go for Suriname. And they would actually change this name from New Amsterdam to New York after the English got power. And it was named after the Duke of York in England. And by this time, the natives were actually completely removed from the area. And there was a shift in the city now because it was much more of a shipping area than anything else. It used to be such a fur 
trading based area. Now as so much shipping was coming into all the colonies that were being established in the 1600s, like Philly and all those, New York was a big base for supplies getting to them, slaves being taken through the Middle Passage into the Americas. All of these things came hugely through New York City. And in this time, more and more expansion would happen throughout the island of Manhattan and then into the eventual other other boroughs that would make up New York City. In 1754, King's College would be established by King George II. It would go on to be known as Columbia University today, which is one of the best in the United States as well as the world. And it is... It is one of the only nine U.S. universities that was built before the American Revolution. And speaking of the Revolution, we'll start conversation on that by opening up with the Stamp Act, which happened in 1765 because the British needed to pay off their debts from the French-Indian War because of all the money they funneled out to fight that war. And this is when revolutionary ideas were sprouted, but things weren't what you thought they would be in New York City. So the Sons of Liberty were a group that was established in New York City to stand up for the freedom of America and the freedom of New York City. But overall, there wasn't a lot of support for the revolution, and New York City was definitely a very loyalist city. And during the revolution, the city was first held by Americans, but two major battles that broke out in the northern part of Manhattan and then the southeast of Manhattan, which is pretty much the Queens in Brooklyn today, saw the British take military control of the country, of the state, saw Britain take military control of the state, and it would be the capital of military operations for the British, and it would also be the center for loyalists in America. And this led to a lot of different debates and protests and riots kind of breaking out within the city of New York as loyalists and revolutionary citizens really started to clash heads and things would go back and forth. There would be riots, there would be different fighting that broke out. It was very tense at this time. And I think that actually was happening during the revolution here was that there were is that the British were using prison ships and they were docked in New York and they saw endless amounts of American revolutionaries be held inside. And the thing with these ships is that the conditions were for disease and starvation and all these things spreading within the whole of this ship was that more Americans died being trapped on these ships than they actually did fighting in the Revolutionary War itself, which is absolutely insane to think about. After the war, the city was the capital of the country for a time. It saw Washington be inaugurated as president, and it also saw the Articles of Confederation ratified as well as the Bill of Rights, but it wouldn't be long after this that Philadelphia would become the capital of the United States next. A big thing that affected the future of this country would be the expansion of the Erie Canal. It was finished being built in 1825 and led to the Midwest of the U.S. being able to connect to the Hudson River and Hudson Bay and be able to shoot from that out into the eastern ocean that was there, which is the Atlantic Ocean. And this led to way more immigration through New York City because it is now pretty much the gateway to the U.S. as you can ride a boat from getting into New from anywhere in Europe to into New York and then following the Hudson River to the Hudson Bay to the Erie Canal and all around to pretty much get to anywhere else that was established as the U.S. at the time. And the biggest immigration that came from this time was the Irish because the Irish potato famine hit really hard, was starving millions of Irish people, and they started to leave the country, and they started to head for the U.S. more than anywhere else. And the immigration was so large that by 1850, around one-fourth of the population of the United States was of Irish descent. Central Park is one of the most iconic things in New York. It is a huge park right in the center of Manhattan. It has a couple of restaurants inside. It's famous for the shows that happen there, 
all sorts of things. Its construction was began in the 1850s and finished in the 1870s, and at the same time as this was the Civil War. The cotton from the South was a huge part of the economy in New York, so when the war broke out and cotton stopped flowing into the con into the state, things got really bad, and there started to be a lot of internal conflict over things that were happening because one big negative was that immigrants that were coming to the country were being pretty much conscripted into the Union Army almost as soon as they became citizens, and black people were targeted very ruthlessly by the draft as it referred to them as quote-unquote the problem in New York. So immigrants and black people were being sent very frequently to go fight in this new country that they either just got their freedom in, just came to, or a mix of both as military members, and it was very, very tense. Eventually, the Civil War does end, and everyone knows the Union wins. Things start to go back to normal. But at the same time as this, there was also something happening which is still in effect today, which was the establishment of the New York Stock Exchange, which allegedly started with 24 stockbrokers who wanted to establish security trading in the New York area. This was at the same building it is today on Wall Street in 1792 when this conversation happened and a building was constructed. And it became the biggest stock exchange in the country after the Civil War, and New York City was the biggest city both in population and in trade. So all these things came together to make the city expand farther. The population was growing, economy was growing, immigrants were hitting the country very, very, very hard. And a thing that kind of happened in order to change the view on what was happening with immigrants and what was gonna happen with their ability to vote and things like that was the establishment of Tammany Hall. This was a political machine that helped immigrants assimilate into the US community by adding welfare to them or helping them get a job or helping their families get a home situation, all things like this. But the idea behind it wasn't something super holy and seeking to help people. It was done for the sake of swaying their votes towards the political members of Tammany Hall so that the people who were immigrants, who are now making up a bigger and bigger population within the city, would see that, they're, see that the person who helped them get a house and get a job is now running for a political position or governor or something of that sort. They are very likely to vote for them. And this worked for quite a long time pretty much through all of the 1800s until the Great Depression really hit the country. And speaking of the Great Depression, this happened most specifically, like if you were to point to an event that pretty much marks the start of it in the US, that is Black Tuesday, which is when the New York Stock Exchange crashed and it led to the highest unemployment rate in history. However, at the same time as this was the building of the Chrysler, the Empire State and the Rockefeller buildings, which are all constructed in that like terrible decade of the late, of like 1929 to 1939 when World War I, World War II starts. And to kind of, I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but I wanted to knock out the Great Depression as we're talking about it. A couple of things that happened in that time of late 1800s, early 1900s, was the Statue of Liberty being built. A man named Frederick Auguste Bartholdi started to build the Statue of Liberty in the 1880s with the support from many communities, one of the major ones being the French government, who kind of had it as a gift. And the reason it was constructed the way it was is so that it faces across the sea to look towards France and in France there's actually kind of like a mini Statue of Liberty that is supposed to look back across the ocean at it to kind of establish the tie between France and the United States forever. And there was also a debate for a time where the Statue of Liberty was going to cost so much to be built and New York was in a struggle at the time economically before the stock exchange really started to take off that there was debates over if it would be put into another city because the other cities like Philly and Boston, ones like those, were willing to help fund it as long as the statue ended up in their city. But New York wasn't about that life, so they had the craziest rally they'd ever had for money, and people started to work extra hard, and a lot of money started to come into the economy so that the Statue of Liberty could be built. And another thing that actually happened during the time of the 
Statue of Liberty was the inaugural celebration to reign in the statue being unveiled. And a parade went through Wall Street where a new tradition would be established. The stockbrokers who were working on Wall Street actually threw ticker tape down at the people who were doing the parade to celebrate what was happening. And now ticker tape parade is a big tradition in New York and other parts of the Northeast and the U.S. It would be also around this time during World War One in the 1914 to early 1920s era, where the boroughs would be consolidated and the subway was constructed as the economy really started to look forward for New York. And World War I wouldn't see a huge effect on New York itself. It would just be that a couple thousand men living in New York City would go off and into the war. By the end of World War I, the never-ending immigration led to New York City being the most populated city in the world by the year 1925. And the huge stock prices actually saw the Roaring Twenties hit really hard as People who had money were making more money now passively, and celebrations started to go all over the place. Prohibition was intact, but that didn't stop people from having speakeasies, and organized crime really started to roll out because this is where the origins of kind of the Sicilian Mafia and all that gum come, and organized crime in general, because alcohol is just so popular, and even was at the time then, it is now, it always has been in the U.S. and most of the world, but the banning of it made it become so much more valuable and such a more lucrative market that the Italian mafia members and gang leaders and things of that sort were now really jumping at this opportunity to establish speakeasies in their Italian restaurants and start selling alcohol and make all sorts of things to make a lot of money because of prohibition. And all that is going on when World War II hits, which is when the economy of the U.S. really starts to prosper, and this helps New York, which was going through a lot of up and down because of the different political powers coming in and out. And this changed the city from an industrial one to one of service, financial, and trade being the main industries they're in. Except the Bronx at the time was hit really, really hard and it kind of affected it to this day where the Bronx is pretty much the least gentrified of all the boroughs. And because of the fact that World War II drew so many people away, it kind of did eventually lead to the whole city filing for bankruptcy. And not long after this, World War II's over, the federal government has more money in general. Financial aid and financial restructuring come to the, the city of New York. Bronx itself actually starts to turn up financially, and the rest of the city starts to grow as well. And as the 1900s go on, the different cultural times hit New York City harder than anywhere else. Jazz has its time. Hip-hop makes its debut in New York and a specific borough, which we'll get into pretty soon here. And a bunch of things happen in New York. Harlem, there's resistances and protests for civil rights. A lot of things happened that were kind of nationwide, but New York City was always one that was seeing them happen as well. And that pretty much gets us to the present, where New York City is called the Big Apple, which I will tell you why in one moment. It is called that for many reasons, and it is one of the richest cities in the world. It's one of the busiest. It has one of the biggest metropolitan areas in the world. It is famous, famous, famous. And despite COVID hitting the city really, brutally hard, the city is coming back quite strong. I can tell you as someone who just went there, People aren't as worried about the mask thing. I, I didn't even get checked for my vaccine card when I went up there in any of the restaurants, the subways, <laughs> moving like crazy. Times Square was packed. Everything feels pretty much like it should. It's like I, I traveled up there in 2019, right before my senior year started, and it feels pretty much just like it did then. So absolutely, absolutely think it is on the come up again. And with that, we're just going to say a few things about boroughs because that is a very specific culture about the city itself and then I'm also going to talk about why it's called the Big Apple so let's do that right now so it is called the Big Apple now that is not only because the state of New York is the biggest apple producer in the country of the U.S. it came from 1920 when a sports journalist named John Fitzgerald was in New Orleans where local 
Cajuns and Creoles were referring to the city up north as the Big Apple, and he started to use the name in his columns, and for a time, the jazz club started to use the name in the 1930s, and it was working for a time because the jazz clubs wanted it to be known that jazz was being done in the US, in the city of New York, which was the place where it was getting started, place where it was getting popular, and that jazz was New York, and New York was jazz, that kind of thing. But it did die in popularity for a time until around the 1970s when tourists started to have campaigns to bring the name back to the city, and it pretty much got it all the way back to the popularity it is at today, and it is still referred to day in, day out as the Big Apple. Now let's talk about the boroughs, because this is one of the only <laughs> states that is so proud of having these like different little enclaves and separate cultures within one city. So we have to get right into that now. So we're going to start with the Bronx. The name Bronx comes from a man named James Bronx, who was a farmer that traveled from likely Scandinavian Europe into the Netherlands, where he married a woman, and then left there to go west across the pond and to get to New York, to New Amsterdam, because at the time it was controlled by the Dutch. And he established a farm on the river that would eventually bear his name, the Bronx River, but they actually changed his last name on this naming this river from B-R-O-N-C-K, like Bronx, to Bronx, and they eventually named the whole borough after that river itself. It is the least gentrified borough of New York, and it has a huge Italian-Hispanic population with 56% people being of Hispanic descent, 29% being black, and white and Asians making up 9% and 4% respectively. Some people consider the real Little Italy to be in the Bronx because it's much less touristy and the quality of the Italian food and culture here is much bigger and the lack of tourists, of course, makes it better in many people's eyes. Yankee Stadium is in the Bronx and the people have a very Italian and Spanish accent. What their accent sounds like, the mix of being in the Northeast, having that kind of New Yorker accent with their Italian, mostly Italian and some Hispanic roots. Some consider the real Little Italy to be here and not in Manhattan because of the quality of the food and quality of the Italian culture that is here and there's way less tourists so it's much more easy to enjoy. This borough is also home to Yankee Stadium which is one of the most famous baseball teams in the U.S. Many championships, many players, Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, players like that and in the modern age Aaron Judge, Derek Jeter, all that. And the people here have a very Italian and Spanish accent which mixes with the average New York accent to make the very stereotypical New Yorker accent that goes on. Especially the Italian one is very prominent even though there are more Spanish people here but you know, stuff like in the Heights and all that definitely is, you know, the, the accent's there and that culture is very much here in the Bronx. And it actually has the lowest median household income out of all the boroughs, around 40k a year, and the lowest average rent at around 1200 a month. It also has the second highest crime rate of all the boroughs, which is a shocker to most people because Bronx gets a lot of coverage from people who don't live in New York as this really crime-filled, kind of like the hood of the five boroughs. You know, I've read up and talked to New Yorkers and they seem to disagree and that's like kind of the same as any city where it's like, okay, you know, listen, it's a less developed town than Manhattan is. So just keep your head down at night and, you know, just be smart. Like don't, don't put yourself in danger. It's the same as you would anywhere in the world is you're not going to mess with people, give people their space. Don't put yourself in a position where you're walking down dark alleyways at night. Crimes are going to happen. Crimes happen everywhere. So just make sure you're being smart. We're going to jump over to Manhattan now where the name actually comes from the Lenape Native Americans and derives from the word Manahata. It was written in 1609 in a traveler's journal. The name very likely means Island of Many Hills, and the island was actually called Lenape Hoking before any of its European names, and that kind of refers to like Lenape home, because Lenape was who they were, and Hoking is like a 
possessive term of like almost home or like house building, something like that. And some things about Manhattan is that it actually has the most skyscrapers of all the boroughs and it is just a very quick moving city. Everyone is walking, it's around 75% of people don't own a car in Manhattan. Everyone's constantly walking, the streets are crazy, people are on bikes. There's constantly people trying to sell you stuff as you walk down the streets. There's a food cart on every corner. People are selling drinks here and there. There's bakeries everywhere. It's a very, very unique city. And I, I live not far from Miami, so I know what a big city's like. But New York is just, I mean, Manhattan specifically, it's just, there's no words. And I've only been to the lower part of Manhattan. I haven't been able to, like, I got to the top of Central Park, like the most northern part, but I didn't go anywhere beyond that. It, it's just crazy. Like, the city blocks, there's so many restaurants per city block, and there's hundreds of city blocks, and there's probably six, seven restaurants or businesses in each one. It's just maddening the amount of volume that is in that borough. It's just crazy. So it's just so fast moving, and, you know, it's another one of those cities that never sleeps. It's just there's stuff going, there's shows all night long. Jimmy Kimmel and like other things like that are on late. There's Broadway shows, comedy shows. People are still, you know, have their carts open late at night on the streets. People are walking around. It's it's a lot. It's a lot going on in Manhattan. A lot, lot, lot. And there is crime that goes on. You know, Jimmy Fallon and guys like that make jokes about how they, they go to sleep with the sound of gunshots and all that. And you're like, ah, oh, New York. It's definitely a little bit true because it's just such a populated, big, tense, tense borough of this city. It's it's crazy, but Manhattan Manhattan's nuts, but I love it. And it is by far the most expensive and most touristy borough. It is the entertainment capital. There's so many artists and singers and comedians who call Manhattan home because of Broadway and all the comedy clubs and all the things like that. When it comes to the demographics, it is 47% white, 26% Hispanic, 12% black, and 12% Asian. And it is the most educated borough with 88% of the population being high school graduates and 60% having a bachelor's degree or higher. Highest median income averages out with the median of 93k and rent averages 29.90 a month. Absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and then with that, that pretty much wraps up Manhattan. Manhattan's got so many different enclaves. I mean, it's got Little Italy, it's got Chinatown. I was even pretty far from Chinatown and I ran into a little street that was a lot of places selling dim sum and there was a lot of like dumplings being made, they have Indian food trucks. There's just so many things happening in Manhattan, so many cultures, so much to take in. It's just it's just nuts, and that's all I could say. We're going to go to Queens now, which is named after a queen, duh. And it's specifically named after a queen alive in 1683. This was Queen Catherine of Braganza, who was the wife of King Charles II of England. Queens was named in tandem with Kings County, which was which is the biggest county in New York State, and it is in the same borders as Brooklyn, and it borders Queens right next to each other. So you have Kings County right next to Queens, and if you look left to right, you see Kings County, then Queens, which makes sense because Kings are like seen as the head head next to their Queens. It's cool, and it is way more laid back than Manhattan. People are definitely not moving as fast. People are people dress different, carry themselves different. There's just not as much volume as Manhattan. I, I Manhattan is very unique. Manhattan is a lot, and. It is the actually most culturally diverse of all the boroughs, having percentages that lie this way at 28% Hispanic, 26% Asian, 24% white, and 17% black. Food in Queens is famous. The biggest thing about it is that people really like live it. You're going to get so many different things here that even if it seems basic, like a bagel or something, people are very adamant about that. And a big famous part is actually Roosevelt Ave, which has many different 
Asian food styles like Shanghai Chinese, Hong Kong style food, and then Filipino and other different things like that. And Greek is also very popular here because it has the highest Greek percentage of people anywhere in any of the boroughs in New York City. I'm going to bounce over to Staten Island now, which is one I actually haven't been to, but I read up on it and this is what some people seem to agree on, is that the name comes from the Dutch, where the official name of the Dutch parliament is the States General, which in Dutch is Staten General. So it's an island, we call it Staten. Staten Island pretty much means like island of the government of the Netherlands. So it's kind of like paying homage to the old control of the Netherlands that used to be the country leaders of this city. The thing this island, the thing this borough is most known for is actually the Staten Island Ferry, which is the thing this borough is most known for is actually the Staten Island Ferry, which a lot of people say they actually don't like that much compared to a lot of the other things to do on Staten Island and compared to the ferries that happen in Manhattan. The things that people actually really like to do is actually go to parks because it's actually referred to sometimes as the borough of parks. There's so many parks. Parks make up like hundreds of acres on of acres. Parks make up hundreds of acres on this borough. And then another thing about it is that there's actually a huge Italian population as well as a very unique one, which is Sri Lankan and Filipino. And you can actually find those foods here, which you can't find in any other boroughs and you can't find enclaves like you'll find here of Sri Lankan especially. Art and music define the culture as they want to be seen because they're always kind of marked as the forgotten borough. So they want to be known for their art. They want to be known for the way they carry themselves. And the demographics here are very different than the last one we saw, which is 59% white, 19% black, and 10%, 19% Hispanic, and 10% black and Asian. It is the second wealthiest borough, and it is actually, by crime rate predictions, the safest of all the boroughs. And last, but most certainly not least, is the one that always seems to be getting mentioned, not first, is Brooklyn. Comes from the Dutch word marshland, which is also a small town in the Netherlands. So Brooklyn is the name of a town in the Netherlands, as well as being called marshland. So Brooklyn is kind of almost like New Brooklyn, like it's, you know, it's New York, it's named after York. Kind of similar to that, so the name comes from literally just being named after another town in the Netherlands. And it's a very different borough. It's kind of hipstery. It's very much trying to not be Manhattan because it's sick of being in Manhattan's shadow. It's probably the second most visited, the second most talked about, the second most popular, the second most well-known. All of those things are just under Manhattan because everyone knows Manhattan. They know the Empire State and Broadway and all Wall Street, all the things that go on in Manhattan, New York City. Brooklyn, that very much defines their culture. They have that very much underdog mentality where they are just right there. They hate being number two. They hate being seen as number two, so they work hard. People do things unique ways. People paint murals on walls. They dress in a way that isn't conforming to the same way people in Manhattan dress. These people are very much their own thing, and they want to be recognized for, and they want to be seen as an equal borough, if not the better borough in some of their eyes. And a thing that actually happened here was that the food culture is really big because this is where people eat really hearty meals, bagels and cheesesteaks, things of that sort, because the people here feel they have mastered those things. Brooklyn Water Bagel is a chain that's found its way all the way down to Florida, and there's a reason it's called that is because in Brooklyn, people drive themselves to be good at making these bagels, and people make insane cheesesteaks. All of these things that they do, they do it with a passion. They do it with a feeling that they're ready to go. Like They want this stuff. They want to do it. And if they're going to do it in any way, they're going to do it as best they can. And they're going to believe they're the best. And a thing about this that's actually funny in this borough is that the Brooklyn accent is usually what people associate with the New York accent. Like the New York accent like this where you talk like an Italian. Well, I did two Italian at the end. But you, you get the gist. That thing is the most aligned with the Brooklyn accent rather than just like a Manhattan accent or New York in general. Very, very stereotypical New Yorker. New Yorker. 
is Brooklyn. Getting into the demographics is that it's 37% white, 30% black, has the most black people out of anyone out of any of the other boroughs, 12% Asian, and 19% Hispanic. It is the second most expensive borough, and surprisingly, it is the highest crime rate of all the five boroughs. Most people, like I said, believe it is Bronx. South Bronx especially gets a lot of bad heat, but it is close second to Brooklyn, but when it comes to burglary and the crimes that they measure just in general, highest crime rate is in Brooklyn. And another thing that's pretty cool about Brooklyn is they're very famous for their brownstone buildings, which is nothing like the big gray skyscrapers of New York, of Manhattan, I'm sorry. And these brownstone buildings make up a lot of the architecture. It's a lot of the, a lot of the homes people live in, a lot of stuff like that. And that pretty much wraps us up with Brooklyn. But there is one thing I want to say. I mentioned earlier that I would cover the hip hop scene. And that actually started in the Bronx. It started in the Bronx around the 70s because a lot of things were going really rough for things at the time. Just in general, Americans who were poor were having a really tough time in the 70s because of all the changes that were happening with the protests in civil rights and the resistance coming from the other side where people were really trying to push down on housing and all these other things that are really systemic and have made it very hard for black people in general to live. And from the fact that these people didn't have a lot going on financially and they didn't have a lot keeping them going and them having a whole lot of imagination, hip-hop really took form and the the person that is pretty widely agreed upon as the first person to start it was a man named DJ Cool Herc, which is his stage name. His actual name is Clive Campbell, and this man Clive Campbell actually hosted a party with his friend, which was a back-to-school party in the Bronx. Now, he was 18 years old, and his friend, whose name was Cochlear Rock, are kind of seen as the guys who started it as they had this party, and they debuted this new music at this party that no one had ever heard, where you're not singing notes. You're very much doing the opposite. You're doing this sped up version of poetry because I don't know if how many people of you know that, but in the black community, spoken word, which is kind of like spoken poetry almost, it's a different way. I can't really describe it, but it's pretty much like you write poetry, but it's spoken with the a lot of skill and poise and it's done on stages and it's done to highlight issues. It's done in the modern age in America, very much to challenge police brutality and a lot of the systemic racism we see. It's very, very popular in the black community. And that whole thing of black people having this really deep connection to poetry goes back to even before rap music, and then of course it connects to hip hop, which starts here in the Bronx. So these people, these guys, Clive Campbell and La Rock, start this new kind of music thing where they have a beat in the background, and it sounds like you should be singing, but they're going line by line, saying things in a different way, doing a different rhyme, doing a different flow, things like that. It's very, very interesting, and this is pretty much where people can agree it starts. It is in the Bronx. And I can't really think of a better way to wrap it up than that and end it. And I'm just going to say, New York City is incredible. Um, Don't come for my neck, but if you're part of the New York City versus LA debate, I'm Team New York, and it's a no-brainer for me. Easy, easy, like low diff for me. So it's a bustling city. There's so many different cultures. There's so many different things happening here. The comedy scene is absolutely insane. The best show I've ever seen in my life was the one I just saw a few days ago at Caroline's, which is where guys like Seinfeld got their start. It's it's just crazy. New York is an incredible city. I've got a deep love for Brooklyn. Walking the Brooklyn Bridge is one of my like subtle favorite traveling experiences. There's just so much going on. So truly, 
I'm so glad I got to go and I'm even more happy that I get to bring you guys this content and get to talk about New York and say all these things I get to say about it. So truly, thank you guys so much for being here. And I'm going to just wrap it on up here and say thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you guys have either some fun listening or you learned something new or both. So thank you all so much for being here. And I got you there, didn't I? So I actually always like to do at the end of my Young History episodes a lesson to take away to go with New York, to go with whatever country I'm doing, but today that's going to be with New York. And for New York, that lesson is going to be find your culture, establish it, and stick to it. Each borough has a completely different culture in New York. Each person in New York adheres to whichever one they feel is best for them, either from their ethnic and national origins. Some people are born and raised many generations in America, and they feel connection more to being a Staten Islander versus being from Queens or Brooklyn or Manhattan. And those things make this city, the cultures from each of these boroughs are so different, and there's just so much diversity in New York. It is literally seen as the gateway to the United States. It has been known as that for many, many decorate, many, many decades, and it is a very unique city. Just everything about it is special. You will not find it anywhere else. And I have been to busy cities. I live not far from Miami. I've been to Atlanta. I've been to Orlando. I've been to close to Chicago. I've seen a lot of different ones, but there is just something about New York and it is, it's just crazy. NYC is just crazy. And the people there are so special. The, in good and bad ways, like the the comedians who make the jokes about it, like walking through Central Park and smelling urine and seeing a crackhead is just as common as like seeing a street performer be the best singer you've ever seen in your life. Like it is just such a unique city. People are selling stuff constantly. People are just moving, 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 especially in Manhattan. And it is just special. So Truly, the reason I say that is to connect back to this, which is they have their culture. Each person has their individual culture. They have their group culture they adhere to. They have their borough culture they fall into, and then they have their national culture that they fall into. You have your culture, either established or you're establishing it. And if you're listening to this, you've probably established some level of culture. Either you are someone who has a culture of studying hard and working hard and getting things done early, or you've established a culture of pushing things off to the last second, not working very hard and getting by by the skin of your teeth. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction to something, I have mine, you might have yours. We have all these things. You have established a culture, I have established a culture around myself. That doesn't need to stay the way it is if it's not the one you want. And this isn't any like weird cultural appropriation stuff. This is establishing the culture of who you are. And these people in New York have established their culture and they're proud of it and they live by it. No matter how much it may piss other people off, they are very proud of it. That is how you should feel about yours. And if you can look back on your life right now and look in a mirror and see someone that is working hard and grinding and pushing through everything and getting things done, then that's a great culture to have. But if you feel that you're on the opposite end and you're not achieving the way you should, you're not the high achiever you thought you'd be, you're not the one getting things done, you're letting things slide, you're letting yourself get off track, things that I've done many, many times and I've struggled with sometimes even recently, I truly think that you need to pick a new culture. You need to start establishing habits and changes and things that will make you a better person, make you work harder, make you achieve things that you haven't achieved before and get to a place mentally, physically, and emotionally that you've never been before so that you could push yourself into a new financial bracket. You could push yourself towards your dreams so that you could help other people. All these things come from the culture you have and I believe that that culture comes from your habits and the actions you take every day. And that's why I say, if you have not yet found a culture to define your life, find it, get it, and stick with it. Because it will define you for the rest of your life if you don't make a choice now and you don't 
choose to pull that trigger and really say, no, this is me and I'm standing up to any of this failure and I'm taking it as a lesson. I'm going to go push forward. So to me, that's what I get from New York's New York City's culture and its people and the way they carry themselves because they are proud, they are mighty, and they have their culture and they live by it and it pushes them forward. You have to establish and find a culture and stick with it in a way that pushes you forward and gets you to be a better person. So truly, that is that for me. And I'm going to say thank you so much for being here one more time. I truly, truly, truly appreciate it. And I took a little break from making video, making podcasts just because I was overwhelmed, but honestly, I'm so glad I'm back. So thank you all so much for being here. My name is Alex Marks. This is Traveler's Notes, and that was New York City. Y'all have a great one.